You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit UpperRoomFrisco.com. I just felt like God wanted to uh, talk about the beauty of his son. Uh, I have a friend who recently had a an encounter where he, like the, the spirit realm was kind of op- opened up to him, and he saw Christians going in and out of heaven, in and out in the, of the heavenly realm. And and they were they were going in just so happy, and, and they would come out different. You know, they would come out with uh, things to give. And, and he's seeing he's seeing spiritual and symbolic things, but it's very real stuff that he's seeing because they're going in and they're coming back with the goods of heaven. They're going in dressed one way and coming out dressed a different way. Um, but he he notices this one guy who's not going in and out. He's just standing at the gate, and he's looking up, and my, so my friend goes over to him, and in, in this open vision, he goes over to this guy standing at the gate of heaven, and uh, says, hey, what, what, are you, what are you doing? And, and the guy looks at my friend, and then looks back up, and he's like, don't, don't you see? And my friend's like, what, what are you talking about? I mean, it's and um, and he and he asks him, "Who are you?" And the guy says, "I'm David." And my buddy was like, "As in King David?" And he said, "Yeah." And he's still just looking up. And so now my friend is like really feeling the weight of this experience, and and he turns to David turns to my friend and says, "Look up with me." And he looks up. And suddenly he sees Jesus is the gate, is the door, is the way to the Father. He sees the beauty of the Lord. And now, like, my, my friend, his name's Brad, he's just, like, captivated by the beauty of Jesus. And David says to him, don't you know that I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord? And he's just beholding the beauty of Jesus. And all these people are experiencing the benefits of heaven, the benefits of being in relationship with God. And they're passing in and out, and they're doing the thing, and they're, they're living their lives, and they're act, like, you know, they're, they're doing the discipleship, they're doing the church thing, and they're going in and out of heaven. And, and they, they don't realize that they're passing through Jesus. There's a, a hero of our, of our faith that I wanted to talk about who uh, grabbed hold of this realization, and her name is Mary. Um, I want to read from Luke 10.38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And he had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, Okay, so we were just introduced to one of the coolest people in all of history, and her title is Mary, who sits at the Lord's feet. Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, answered her, 
Martha, 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 you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. I want you guys to know that I felt this tonight. I felt the Martha thing because I knew that like I had to, I had to bring a word, brother. Like I had to, <laughs> I had to come and, and encourage and exhort and be the guy and do the thing and and then in worship, the Lord is reminding me that it's just this one thing. Just to look at him. Just to be with you. And Jesus goes on to say, uh, you're anxious about many things and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. I once wrote a song called Move Over Mary. <laughs> it's a worship song. Move Over Mary, and I'll be, I'll be sitting at his feet. Step aside, John, and I'll be leaning on his chest. And that song is... Um, <clears throat> I love the, the idea of like the great cloud of witnesses. Like the, They're actually cheering us on. Like David is saying, why don't you write a better worship song than me? Mary is saying, why don't you pour out your life? Why don't you sit even closer to the Lord? John is saying, yeah, I mean, I was the Lord's beloved, but it, like, my ceiling is your floor. Like, get even closer. Like, they're cheering us on. Like, they, they don't have this life, this life anymore, this life of trouble anymore where we have just a few short decades to actually pour out our affection and love on God in a place where it's hard. They don't get that anymore, and so now they're cheering us on and saying, I know that things are hard, but if you would just pour out your life even more for the Lord, you won't regret it. When you see him, you will be so grateful that you didn't hold back in that moment moment I'm going to keep on reading about Mary this is in John 11 Mary's brother Lazarus is crazy sick it says um, now a certain man was ill Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. That's an interesting sentence because the only part of scripture, the only scripture where someone anointed Jesus' feet with her hair up until this point was a sinful woman who barged into a party in Luke 7. So it's actually quite possible that it's the same woman. But anyway, that's a side note. Go study it out. It's pretty cool. Um, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness will not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Has anyone ever been confused by that? It seems like not the right move, Jesus. It should say, because he loved him, he got up as, like, as quick as possible and started hustling out to Bethany. But it says, because he loved them, he stayed where he was two days longer. Now, we already said that this is, you know, 
for the glory of God. And so Jesus must know something that no one else knows. So in John eleven twenty one, Jesus has arrived at Bethany finally a couple days later. He hasn't gone into the town yet. Martha hears that you know he's come close, and so Martha goes out to Jesus and says, "This is after Lazarus has died. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you." And Jesus said to her, "Your brother will rise again." Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again at the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Okay, so this is Martha. Um, who has suddenly gotten into a theological debate with Jesus. And when she said this, she went and called to her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. So essentially, Jesus says to Martha, I need to talk to your sister. And obviously, like Jesus loves everyone, but he was probably annoyed in this moment, he, and he's, he's, trying to, he's trying to help Martha realize something in this moment that, like, no, the, the person who is standing in front of you is everything. I'm, I'm right here. Martha, slow down and look at me. Stop, stop the gears turning in your head. We're not having a theological debate. The presence of resurrection is standing before you, and she's just not getting it. There's an interesting uh, side note here in John 11.30. Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was in the place Martha had met him. I just, some of these verses stand out to me, and I wonder, like, why is he lingering outside? Like, why isn't he going, he's walked all this way. Like, why isn't he not going in and handling the situation? But he's waiting outside the, the village. He's had the conversation with Martha, and he says, Martha, go get Mary. And he just stays there waiting for Mary. I think that Jesus actually wanted Mary alone. You know when you encounter Jesus, um, you you feel his presence in an overwhelming way. What's like one of the things that happens usually? You cry. Yeah. These eye holes just start pouring out. tears, right? And and it's incredible. Someone told me once that that's, you know, the Lord washing all the confusion and witchcraft out of our eyes whenever we feel him. This is uh, John eleven thirty one. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise and quickly go out, and they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his face and said to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come 
With her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. How many of you guys want to have an encounter with Jesus? Did you know that Jesus wants to have an encounter with you? Unfiltered, raw, honest, genuine you. See, Martha came out and said the exact same words that Mary said. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Mary comes out and says the same thing. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, Mary's title is what? The woman who sat at Jesus' feet. Why wasn't she the first one running out of town to meet him when they heard he was near? I'll tell you why. She was angry at him. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And she's getting raw and honest. And Jesus is having an encounter with one of his beloved daughters who is being 100% herself. And it's impacting him so deeply. This is the only place in scripture we find where it says that Jesus is weeping. She's not afraid to let Jesus know that she's upset. If anyone knew that Jesus was capable of healing Lazarus, it was Mary. I once heard a a cool preacher say that Martha got a theological debate and Mary got a resurrection. They said the exact same things, but one heart moved God and the other one didn't. Mary was socially awkward. She just like barged into the scene in John uh, chapter 12, six days before the Passover. This is uh, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was. And this is Jesus who, uh, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised, raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? That's a year's wages and given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone. Leave her alone. It was intended that she would save this perfume for my burial, or she did this for my burial. For the the poor you always have with you, but you don't always have me. And in Matthew and Mark, it's, this is the, you know, the other Gospels that have the exact same story. Jesus goes on to say, I, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who is one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. Mary's worship offended Judas so bad that it set it set in uh, the events in place where he like he after she poured out that perfume that was the moment where he's like I'm I've had enough this is ridiculous and he goes and betrays Jesus to the chief priests. See, Mary is one that gave to Jesus. Like poured out everything, and Judas was one who was there to see what he could get from Jesus. If you ever wonder what a religious spirit sounds like, this is it. It's, cr- it's cloaking these crooked intentions with good deeds. See, Mary poured out a year's wages on, on Jesus in a way that she couldn't get back. There was no way that they could use that money for anything else after that. And so this guy in Jesus' posse, Judas, says, we could have used all that money and started our homeless ministry. We could have used all that money and ministered to the poor. For I mean, We could have fed so many people in Africa with that money. And religion will actually try to get you to spend your life ministering to people instead of spending your life ministering to the Lord. And again, here's Mary choosing the best part. And this is right before Jesus' betrayal. You know, she, she's getting rebuked by like all the disciples, and they're saying, why this waste? Like, that was so dumb. Did you even think that through? The way that you just showed up and worshiped Jesus so extract, like, you looked dumb. Anybody ever felt that internal accusation when you're the one doing the ugly cry right here? (laughs) Or, Or you're the first one dancing your heart out in a, in a room where everyone's got their arms crossed and you just got, you know, tickled by the Holy Spirit and you, you just start dancing like crazy and every, you just feel like eyes are judging you. Well, that's not going to be this room. In this room, we're going to be a bunch of Marys pouring out our love without a single second thought. This is right before Jesus' betrayal. And um, you know, a few, not even a few days. It's like hours later. He's he's being hauled off to be tortured and put that crown of thorns on. And all the guys who, you know, had all these great reasons for for serving him have deserted him. But who's at the cross? Is Mary, 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 and John. And Jesus, in this moment, he's pouring out his entire life for you. 
just like Mary poured out her entire life for him. And he's feeling the weight of loneliness. He's feeling the weight of betrayal. He's feeling the weight of the sins of all of humanity on him. And in this moment, he is hearing the accuser himself saying, Jesus, why this waste? Why are you pouring yourself out like that for these people who don't even love you, these people who deserted you? Why this waste, Jesus? You could have spent the rest of your life, you had a good four decades of ministry where you could have written books. You could have led the greatest revivals. You could have marched from town to town, you know, telling of good deeds and healing the sick. Why are you pouring yourself out like this right now, Jesus? And he's completely alone. But he smells something. On his skin and in his hair, he smells the worship of one of his daughters who loves him. And he remembers in that moment, I'm doing it for Mary. I'm doing it for all of them. Guys, he... He died on that cross, was buried. And before they could even really bury him properly, anoint him with the different oils, he's, he's in Joseph's tomb. The stone is rolled away. He, he is resurrected. Do you know that when Jesus appears to people, there's a fragrance of the Lord? It's Mary's perfume. When you smell the fragrance of the Lord enter a room, he smells like the fragrance of Mary's love and devotion. He loves to receive honor, but he loves even more to give honor. This Mary is, he said that wherever this gospel is told, what Mary did is going to be told. She was probably, she probably didn't have many life skills. She, she may not have amounted to anything in life after that story. But you know what? Every single generation from then on knew the name of Mary. And have, we've all been inspired to worship Jesus with even more extravagance because of the way that she poured out her life. This is the life of a legacy of worship. When we pour out our lives in worship, in the place of prayer, it moves heaven. You might not, there's actually going to be tons of people who don't necessarily amount to anything in this life, in in this world's idea of, of what it is to be successful, and they're going to be governing cities and judging angels in the next world, in the, in the age to come. Jesus loves to honor people who have laid down their lives for him. Did you know that he doesn't even sit on his own throne? His throne doesn't say Jesus. He sits on the throne of David. For all of eternity, a man built the throne that Jesus would sit on. 
He talks about David and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restore David's fallen tent. When Jesus was weary, it says in John 4, when Jesus was weary, he sat down by Jacob's well. Guys, we can build something with our life that refreshes the Lord. He is enthroned on the, the legacy of David's praise. He literally wants us to believe in the greatness that he's placed inside of us so that when we impact this world, when we lay our lives down for him for all of eternity, there's going to be a legacy of our love. Generations to come are going to hear about the way that Greg Schmidt loved Jesus. And how Ryan Adair keeps on showing up for these worship sets and pouring out his heart. And, and Jesus, it, it's like a scarf, you know? Jesus is wearing this scarf that represents Ryan's praise for all of eternity. Cornelius' prayers came up as a memorial before God. David, he, he loved the Lord so extravagantly that when Israel got in trouble a couple hundred years later, God says, I, I'm going to save you because of David. <laughs> Think about that. R right here, right now, like we can love the Lord so extravagantly that 200 years from now, he can say, I'm going to save America because I remember you. <laughs> I remember Derek's. <laughs> I remember Josh Collins. This isn't old covenant stuff. This is our life. Paul and Silas showed us this in, uh, in Acts 16. There's this crazy cool story about where they're just going about doing good deeds. And uh, this fortune-telling slave girl starts following them around. And she is actually saying something true. She, she keeps on saying it to everyone, these guys are servants of the Most High, and they're speaking of the way to be saved. And uh, Paul eventually gets annoyed. It says Paul becomes annoyed after a couple days of this girl following them around. I don't know why. It's like free advertising. But he obviously recognized that this is a demonic situation, and he casts the demon out of her. And, of course, her masters then realize that she can't tell the future anymore. She, and so their hope for money is gone. They get so angry that they drag Paul and Silas before the magistrates into the marketplace. Paul and Silas get severely beaten. They're stripped naked and severely flogged. And then they get down into prison. They're put in the, it says that they put them in the innermost cell and then fasten their legs into the stocks. And then in Acts 16.25, this is like the key verse. It says, it was about midnight, and Paul and Silas started praying and singing hymns. They start worshiping. They're living this life of radical devotion, worship, 
and prayer. It's not a duty. It's just who they are. It's what they want to do. They can't help themselves. They're in prison. They're probably feeling honored in this moment for having suffered for the sake of Jesus, and they begin to worship him in the darkest, most innermost cell with their feet fastened in these stocks. And what happens is an earthquake. And the, and the doors fly open, their feet fall out of the stocks, and in rushes the jailer, and he's freaked out, and he's going to kill himself, and Paul says, no, don't kill yourself. And where did they learn that? Well, their hero, Jesus, comes along doing good deeds, delivering people of demons. He gets stripped, beaten, and goes down in the deepest, innermost cell called death. When that stone rolls away, it's an earthquake from an angel coming down. An earthquake happens. The stone rolls away. The jailer hands Jesus the keys. Jesus pops out of the grave and says, I've got the keys to death now. Not only that, but other tombs open up and people are coming out. So Jesus himself gets down in the deepest, darkest place and he's worshiping the Father from the place of death, from the prison of death. And an earthquake happens and everything opens up for us. That's the power of worship, you guys. I'm going to end it here. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we can actually get completely refilled by the Spirit in a drunk kind of way by worshiping. He's so good. He's so good that when we worship Him, He fills us. He's so good that when we tell him how much we love him, he tells us how much he loves us. He's so good that when we tell him who he is, he tells us who we are. It's like we find our identity when we open up our mouths and say, holy. And we find our place when we just join that choir of heaven and proclaim to God who he is. It's just so incredible that he gave us this gift of worship. So I want to stand and pray. What I want to do is just invite the Lord to do a work in our hearts to make us more like Mary. I need this. I don't know if you guys need this, but I want to pour out my life before the Lord in such an extravagant way that for all of generations, they're going to hear about how I love Jesus.